Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We're glad you could be with us today. If you've been following along with us, we are in the second book of Peter, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, uh, turn in your Bible. Uh, if you're fairly new to your Bible, fairly new to the program, uh, it's towards the end of your Bible. If you go to Revelation, the very last book, and start working your way back, you'll have the little book of Jude. Then you'll have 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Then you'll get to Peter. Peter wrote two of the um, epistles in the in the uh, New Testament. And this is the um, second one that we want to look at. And we want to look at chapter 1. And by way of review, we'll look at um, verses uh, 16, uh, 17, and 18 to make our point. Of course, if you're been with us for a while, you'll know that we are looking at our handout uh, that is available from this radio station. And uh, if it's um, something brand new to you, let me share that with you. That's whcbradio.org. If you go to their website, they have uh, graciously provided uh, a copy of the handout for this series that we're in at the current time. And that's exploring the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of the church with Christ to the earth as his wife. We raptured up as his bride. We come back with him at his second coming as his wife. And there are many uh, distinctive differences between those two events, even though the common uh, factor here is the church and Jesus. Uh, they serve two totally different purposes, and we're exploring the differences between those two purposes so we are in that handout, and we're looking at point number five, and we're uh, getting very close to finishing up point number five under the rapture column. We've been spending our time talking about the fact that um, not only at the rapture will the world not be able to see uh, what's happening. They will not see Jesus coming. They will not see the church being uh, raised up. Those that are living on the earth, they will not see any of this actually take place. Uh, what they will see are, are the results of that when so many people are missing. And I suspect that there will be some sort of a delusion that they will think that it's uh, some strange phenomena that's taken place, and they'll try to explain it away because what's happened at that point is the restraining, the restraining influence uh, that we've read about here a number of times, particularly in this series in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that restraining influence that is re, is holding back or restraining lawlessness uh, will be gone uh, when the Holy Spirit, who is the restrainer, is taken out of the way. And of course, we know that the restrainer lives within the church so that when the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is taken, the church is taken with him because the Holy Spirit, we're told, will never leave the church. So where the Holy Spirit goes, we go. So at that point in time, there's going to be lawlessness on the earth like we've never seen before. But um, we have a precedent that was set uh, back in um, 
2,000 years ago when Jesus was resurrected from the grave and took on his glorified body, he made it clear through several uh, what the Bible called manifestations or making himself visible to the eyesight of those who believed in who he was uh, so that he could commune, commune and communicate with them for 40 days while he was on the earth before he was lifted up into heaven where he is now waiting to come back for his church. So only those who believed saw him, even though he walked the earth in a body that could be readily recognized as being Jesus after his crucifixion and that he had the the marks of the crucifixion. But just as importantly, he did not have the marks of his uh, torture. So all the horrible things that they did to Jesus with the whips and so forth, all of that was gone. He was in his glorified body, and the point of having all the marks of the crucifixion was to provide proof. And we went through that with uh, the apostles and then particularly with Doubting Thomas having to say, I have to touch him and put my hands in his nail holes and in his side before I'll believe. And of course he did. And we were told that, Thomas, you believe because you saw and you touched and saw me eat. More blessed are those even who do not see any of this but believe. And the point being that we can rely uh, through faith on the scriptural fact that the apostles saw him in his resurrected body and that all of the promises that Jesus made that he would be resurrected and that um, he would go back into heaven, they saw and they attest to us, and we believe that on faith. So we are now um, here today on this earth uh, with a confident expectation that he is coming back for us at the rapture, whether we are alive at the time or whether we have um, gone to sleep, as the Bible says, uh, describing Christians who die physically in the faith, gone to sleep uh, either as asleep or as alive, we will see Jesus at the rapture. And I pray, I pray very soon. So we have uh, moved on into the New Testament, into uh, Philippians 3. If you're following along with us, you see Philippians 3 and uh, 1 John, First uh, John three, and we are in Second Peter chapter one. So in Second Peter chapter one, looking at verse sixteen, he is here. Peter referring to his experience uh, prior to this at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus appeared in his in a, a a glorious state, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But he's reviewing it here in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16. And, of course, the point we're looking for here is who saw this and who didn't see it and, and what did they see. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. So this is the utterance from God the Father in heaven to Jesus uh, there at the Mount of Transfiguration. And the quote from God is, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then verse 18 in Second Peter chapter 1, And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So, they're making a point here, one, that we were with him, that we heard God speaking, 
And then in 19, 20, and 21, which we read in our last program, and we won't do it again today, but they're saying that's a confirmation of the prophecies of the Scripture, that they are true, they are faithful, they are to believe in their totality, and that nothing that is, has been spoken by humans and recorded in the Bible was done from human desire, but by a leading of the Holy Spirit spoken from God. So everything is God-breathed through the Holy Spirit to man and then recorded here. And he's wanting to make that general statement about prophecy uh, with a specific emphasis on the fact that we saw this uh, for our, our ourselves and with our own eyes. And we're not going to go there for the sake of time today, but uh, one of the points he was making about prophecy here, Peter was saying that we heard what God said, and then he specifically quoted what God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That is actually a quote from God through Moses all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, this specific event was prophesied. So roughly 1,400 plus years before it took place, it was prophesied by Moses in the book of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18. And specifically, if you want to look it up um, sometime, and I uh, pray that you would because it's a wonderful passage of prophetic truth that has already played out, has, has come to pass exactly as it was prophesied. And that's where Moses is talking about someone who's coming who is going to be like me, like Moses, from among the Jewish tribes, so he'll be an Israelite. And it says that God will say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. And that's exactly what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration. So if you could, let's go over real quick, and let's just look at this for context purposes. I know it's not in our handout, but I feel that it's important just for context that we go back and see where this is in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 17. So that's the very first book in your New Testament, very first book, and we're looking at chapter 17. And this is a description of what happened at the Mount of Transfiguration where a handful, just a handful, it says specifically in chapter 1, Peter and James and John, his brother, were led up to this high mountain by Jesus and he did this particularly because he wanted to show him, show them his glory. And it says that he was transfigured before them in chapter 2, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus. So you can just imagine in your mind's eye Jesus with Moses and Elijah, and they're talking together. And it basically tells us they were talking about, the three of them were talking about Jesus going to Jerusalem and being falsely accused and dying on the cross, but then being resurrected. And Jesus is showing himself just to these three apostles for the specific purpose of being able to see what Jesus has been telling them would happen to him. And in actuality, this is the second coming. This is not the rapture. The rapture was still a hidden mystery uh, to the apostles at this point in time. Jesus had never revealed it to them this way and would not until they were in the upper room the week that he was crucified. 
So this is the second coming, and we know that because Jesus is in his glorified body standing on the earth. And as a matter of fact, it says, just to make that point, in verse 7, and Jesus came to them, the apostles that were there with him, and touched them and said, get up and do not be afraid. So he's with them on the earth. Um, They find out from that point in time that Elijah, who's standing there with Jesus, is the one that was promised and prophesied back in uh, Malachi, uh, that he would come, that he would be the forerunner, that he would be the messenger that would alert the earth to the coming of Jesus at his second coming. And they found out here that John the Baptist, who had already come to alert the world to Jesus coming the first time, would have been Elijah if they had just accepted Jesus. But because they didn't, it was uh, he was known as John the Baptist, and that he was killed um, by Herod and was treated in the same way that Jesus would be treated. And we see that in verse uh, 12 and 13. So again, Peter is using uh, his message there in Second Peter chapter 1 to refer back to Matthew and the fact that we saw Jesus in his glorified body that he allowed us to see this in his way that so that we would be that we would believe and would have our faith fortified but it was again the point to be made here is that only they saw these individuals in fact Moses and Elijah then disappeared um, shortly after they saw them so we will see Jesus at the rapture just as they saw him back then but only certain people would have that capability and those certain people being those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So let's um, finish up point number five here with this last verse and that's in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. So back to the left in your Bible, uh, back past James and Hebrew and then you've got your Timothy and Thessalonians and the small books of Ephesians and Galatians and so forth. To the First and Second Corinthians, we want to go to First Corinthians chapter fifteen, and we want to go to the Rapture passage. This is one of the three uh, well-known Rapture passages in the Bible, and we want to go specifically to uh, to verse fifty-two. So, First Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty-two, and Paul is describing what the Rapture is going to be like for those who are going to participate in it. And he says in verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So let's let's take a few moments here and let's um, unpack what we see in this one short verse here. This is going to take place in the twinkling of an eye. So we have been talking about for the last number of programs here in point number five under the rapture column in our handout that only believers saw Jesus when he walked the earth for the 40 days following his resurrection in his glorified body. Jesus only allowed believers to see him. Unbelievers did not comprehend that it was he in his risen body. And that was, a, that was done purposely to build the faith of those uh, believers at that particular time, particularly the apostles, because their specific in, uh, experiences are now shared with us 
in the Gospels that we may believe without having actually seen him, without actually touched him, touching him, without actually seeing him eat, proving that he's resurrected. We believe on faith because of what the apostles saw and told us about. So when we uh, come here, we see the same thing happening again, that this is going to happen in a twinkling of an eye, that even from a time perspective, people are not going to see what's happened. So uh, whether you want to look at it as a spiritual eyes or spiritual ears perspective that only believers are going to see what happens, uh, if you don't fully grasp that or don't want to grasp that, you can rely on chapter, 50, uh, chapter 15, verse 52, where it says it happens in the twinkling of an eye. So the unbelievers, those who, who are not going to participate in this rapture, are not going to see it uh, for no other reason the fact that it happens in the twinkling of an eye. And it says here that the dead will be raised first, and of course we see that from the uh, other rapture passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, that the dead will be raised first, and then those who are alive will be translated, because we do not have to be resurrected because we're not dead at that point. Um, So you have the resurrection and then you have the translation. So both of those, um, the dead in Christ and alive in the Christ at the moment of the rapture will will be taken up to heaven in the twinkling of an eye. And what a wonderful point that's going to be. It's the same type of occurrence that we're told about again in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, for instance, where it talks about John being called up to heaven. Uh, by a shout, just as we see here in chapter 15, verse 52, that uh, a sound like a trumpet will call John up to heaven. And then again in Revelation chapter 11, where it talks about the uh, two witnesses that are on the earth during the tribulation and are killed at the midpoint and lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days, it says that they will hear a voice from heaven, and it's a shout saying, come up here. So it's the same sort of thing, and it says they disappear uh, before the eyes of the people who see them uh, at that point, because that's not the rapture, but it's a type of rapture that the shout brings them up. So we have this glorious rapture to look forward to uh, in which only the church will see what's going on. All right, we now want to answer a question from a listener. So we're going to pick up in this series at uh, point number five in our next lesson as we start looking at uh, the second coming and the fact that unlike the rapture, the whole world will see Jesus and his wife come back. All right, we have a question from Johnny, uh, from Johnny and Indian Springs. And he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, so let's go to 2 Thessalonians. So we can uh, get ready to see if we can answer his question. So if um, you can find your New Testament and go through the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and move through um, Acts and Romans and Corinthians, and then your Galatians, Ephesians, those four small books, it'll bring you to Thessalonians. And when you get to Thessalonians, we want to go to... um, chapter Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses uh, 6 and 7 that he brings out here. 
So let's finish his question. He says, we read about the restrainer holding back the appearing of the man of lawlessness until the appointed time. The restrainer is referred to as he. So the question I guess he has here is, is is he the Holy Spirit or is he the church? All right, that's a good point. That's a good point, Johnny. Thank you for that question, Johnny in Indian Springs. First, let's let's um, let's do uh, uh, something else here first. Let's quickly consider two other alternatives that aren't involved in John Johnny's question, but questions uh, that come up from theologians trying to answer who is this restrainer. Some teach that the restrainer is actually the Roman government. So at the time that Second Thessalonians uh, was written by the Apostle Paul, the Roman government was the power in the world at that time, and uh, particularly in that region where uh, Paul is writing about in Thessalonica in Greece. In fact, there was a major Roman garrison right there. Well, Johnny, the, the point there about the Romans, the Romans are long gone, so that doesn't apply. And the Antichrist hasn't even been revealed yet, so uh, that really can't be a point. So another teaching is that the restrainer is Satan himself. So if it's not the Roman government, could it be Satan? And we know from from the book of Mark, uh, let's see, Mark 3, 25, tells us that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And as we'll see here in a moment when we read the scriptures Johnny referenced in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it tells us that the Antichrist is acting in accord with Satan. So that doesn't make any sense that the Antichrist and Satan would be working against each other. So we don't believe that the restrainer is the Roman government. We don't believe that the restrainer is Satan himself. So basically, who could it be? So let's look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's read these pertinent verses. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 um, and let's start at verse 5 for context here. Second Thessalonians 2, let's start at verse 5. Do you not remember, and again, this is Paul talking to the church of Thessalonica, which is on the coast of the Aegean Sea in Greece, up on the northeast coast of uh, Greece. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. So he's talking about the Antichrist, and he's talking about a restraining influence that is is keeping the Antichrist from being revealed yet. Uh, And the reason he's telling them this is the Thessalonians had been told by some letter or some um, so-called religious person telling them that the uh, Antichrist had already come, that the tribulation had already started, and that they had missed the rapture of the church. And they were, of course, uh, quite concerned about that. So he's writing to the Thessalonians a second letter to explain to them that they have been uh, improperly taught and they've misunderstood. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So stepping out of the scripture for a minute there, what he's saying in chapter 7 is there's been lawlessness all along. There has been lowercase t, if you will, tribulation, 
and trouble for the Thessalonians and well before them because Satan has been the prince and power of the world ever since the fall in the garden. So there's been lawlessness, and it's being held back until the one who holds it back is taken out of the way. And that's what we read in chapter 7 here. Then verse 8, it says, Then that lawless one, and that's referring to the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and will bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So we know that the Antichrist has not yet come because there is a restraining influence in the world, and that restraining influence is referred to as he. The most reasonable teaching here is that the he, the restrainer, is the Holy Spirit of God. And in John chapter 16, verse 8, and let's go there. John 16, it's the last of the four Gospels, right towards the end of the book of John. And this is Jesus talking to the apostles in the upper room the week that he's crucified. And in John 16, verse 8, it says, And he, there's the he again, when he comes, he, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So we're talking about a he who is convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then in John 14, let's go to John 14. So go back a chapter. And it says in verses 16 and 17, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he, there he is again, may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. So this is talking about the Holy Spirit ultimately coming into the church at Pentecost, which is yet future from this point in time when John's writing about Jesus, that the Holy Spirit will come into the church, and the key point is that the Holy Spirit will never leave the church, will never leave the individual believers. So when the restrainer is taken out of the way, Johnny, the church is taken out of the way. And that's the point to be made here is that when you ask, is the restrainer the Holy Spirit or is he the church, in effect, they are one and the same in the sense that the Holy Spirit indwells the church. And when the Holy Spirit leaves, he's taking the church with him because it says in John 14 again, that this Holy Spirit will never leave the church. So, Johnny, hopefully that answers your question. It's The answer is yes to both. It is the Holy Spirit, and it is the church. They are both together in tandem, restraining evil in the world until it's taken out of the way, the church and the Holy Spirit, and only then can the tribulation begin, and the first event of the tribulation is the Antichrist revealing himself by confirming a covenant with Israel. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.